When will Jesus rule as perfect king? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Brian DeBozik, and with me is Aaron Armstrong. Aaron, our, our listeners cannot tell that was take two uh, of that intro, the first one. I... That's true. Well, as long as I do a good job editing this one, which, wow. I mean, eh, we're hit or miss there. So maybe they do know it's my second go at it, and I <laughs> kind of goofed on the first. That's okay. We're human. There's no judgment from me. No. Well... I'm judging myself. Okay. So, but we're not talking about judges today. We're talking about Christ as king, which I guess, I mean, there's kind of some... I mean, there is some judgment there. Yeah, there is. He Um, is the king. He is the king. He gets to judge. He's he's the sovereign king. He has authority to judge, and he works through his providence. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there is some judgment. So, yeah, it's all orchestrated together. See, it all comes there back. We well, there, there's that providence thing at work okay, right there. There you go. There you go. There, we did it. All <laughs> right, so we are talking about Christ as king. Uh, this is the third in this triad as of Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. Um, as I say that, it's always interesting. We do it in that order. Um, and it makes sense, I guess you can say, the prophet, the word, and then the priest, his actions... Uh, and king, but it is odd that I never hear anybody saying, you know, the three offices of king, priest, and prophet, or whatever, or king, prophet, and priest. It's rhythm, or, or that one. That's that's really what it comes down to. Is it's <laughs> just about rhythm. It right, sounds well, better. It, we're going to keep that rhythm, and uh, we're going to keep pressing on. Then, and so, um, Aaron, why don't you read the essential doctrine of Christ as king? And then, as always, we'll, we'll try to simplify that and then look at some places in Scripture where we see this and then any discussion we need to have about it. All right. So when we talk about Christ as king, here it, here it goes. Uh, God has always been king over his creation, whether in heaven or on earth. Yet some of his creatures in both realms have rebelled against him, leaving destruction in their wake. To restore his broken world, God promised a king who would deliver his people and restore all of creation. The promise of a coming king finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and looks forward to its perfection when Jesus returns for his bride, the church. So, real simple, Jesus is the promised king who rules now and is coming again to rule fully over all of creation. Yeah, and that caveat that you added, that rule fully in the future is so important. And we'll come back to that with um, just a, a word of, of comment, of caution as, as we understand this, because Jesus ruling as king is past tense, present tense, and future tense, really. Yes. Uh, but it's to the degree that we'll talk about. So let's let's look yep. at some places in Scripture. Um, I'll, I'll go first and, and read a couple, and then I'll save a couple for you, Aaron. Uh, one of the first places we see this, and it's not explicit, but it's implicit, is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Of course, this is one of the messianic prophecies. We read this one quite a bit at church time. We hear this sung by fancy-schmancy choirs. Um, and so this is what we read in Isaiah 9. I'm not going to sing it 9, 6, and 7, because I have no rhythm, unlike prophet, priest, and king. I'm, I'm uh, really starting disappointed in, by that. Uh, no, you do not be disappointed that I'm not singing. 
So here's, here's what we read in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. So there's the implication of his, his rule, his kingship. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. Again, the dominion that connotes kingship, authority, uh, and then we continue in verse 7. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So I forgot kingdom is actually there, so it is explicit. Um, yes, it is. So, um, Although I was promised this was not a Christmas episode. <laughs> well, then I'm going to take my Santa hat off. Um, now that you've ruined the mood for me, and I know you only decorate for Christmas the day before, so... Absolutely, and it's down the day after. Exactly. All right, so let's look elsewhere where we see this this doctrine, and we see it in uh, a couple of places in Matthew, uh, Matthew, at least a couple of places, not only. Matthew 4.17, it's the substance of the message that Jesus proclaimed. We read, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And of course, in what way did it come near? Well, in him, because he's the king. The king had arrived in the kingdom to establish the kingdom. And as we know, he was rejected, be crucified, raised. But when he returns, he will return as conquering king. And then mm-hmm. Matthew 27, 37, he's mocked for this truth at the crucifixion. So I love how God uses the scorn and mocking of others to bring about truth into the world. And so we see above the, the uh, cross, the sign was hung up, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Uh, that's Matthew 27, 37. It's mentioned in the other uh, Gospels as well. So right there, again, that was, that was put up in jest, but it was true. Uh, those who put it up in jest didn't realize how true that sign is and was. A couple other places for you, Aaron. I get the nice short ones, so thank you for this, Brian. And they both actually carry this are also work together and have the same language in them because it talks about Jesus' supremacy as king so not just just a king or just a lord but as we will see the king of kings and lord of lords and so we see this in first and first timothy chapter 6 verse 15 which says god will bring about this in his own time he is the blessed one uh, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So not just king, but king over all kings and Lord over all lords. And so there is a, um, you know, there has been some discussion about this in terms of like, was this a political statement in in the time as well? Because these were this was language that was also used about Caesar as well. And so it's a little bit of a like, eh little bit of a jabby jabbing at kind of thing um revelation 19 16 also says and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh king of kings and lord of lords um and so we have those two uh we have those those two reminders and again when scripture says something more than once yeah we want to pay attention um and that includes not just in one book but in multiple books yeah and that Revelation 19 passage, Aaron, that you just read, of course, that is the return of Christ when he is described as returning on a white horse, uh, very kingly. Mm-hmm. And again, this is in juxtaposition to his triumphal entry when he entered in Jerusalem on a donkey, very humble, 
um, because he was the suffering servant in his first advent. In his second advent, he's returning as conquering king. So again, just adding another layer of that. All right, let's talk about any cautions or any notes in understanding this. I can only think of one. So unless you can think of any, I'll share this one and then kind of let you drive mm-hmm. us home and talk about what differences this should make. Um, yeah. But really, the, the only caution I can think of is we've, we've hit on this a minute ago, is that Jesus is not just our future king. We, we have to um, be careful not to say, well, he's coming. We just talked about he's returning as conquering king, right? So that means he's not mm-hmm. here and not king now. He is. Um, His rule when he returns will be perfect over the entire kingdom of creation. That's in the future. But his Mm -hmm. rule, he's a perfect king now, but his rule is not experienced perfectly because sin is still around, because we are still rebels ourselves at times, because unbelievers are rebels all the time, and they're in rebellion against our good, rightful king. So Jesus rules now as our king, and, and we have to be aware of that. But when he returns, it will be him ruling in perfection. So it, this is not just a future truth. You know, he's prophet, yeah. he's priest, he will be king. No, he is prophet, he is priest, he is king. Yeah, I think the only other thing that I would say in terms of a, a caution or something that we should seek to understand really comes down to that that comment that I made earlier about um, the the political connotations that uh, have been referenced in understanding uh, the use of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and applying it to Jesus is what I, and what I would simply say there is yes, Jesus is the King of King and Lord of Lords, but don't treat this as don't treat this as simply a political statement. Yeah. And so um, there is a a line of thought in biblical interpretation, which is um, incorrect biblical interpretation, <laughs> um, which is to say that this is purely a um, you know purely in this direction of um, confronting the confronting the empire. There's more to it than that. It, there. And by necessity, because there is a, because it is a reminder that Jesus is ruler over everything, that he is greater than any human leader could possibly be. Um, but it is not a ra- it is not an excuse for open rebellion against political yeah. uh, human authorities as well. And we see that in other places as well, like uh, first, first Peter chapter 2, which tells us to, to obey human authorities, yeah. to honor everyone, including the emperor. And the emperor at the time that that was being writ- written was one who was persecuting and killing Christians. So um, that's a pretty serious thing. Yeah, that's a good ad. Yeah. Uh, the now, as far as the difference that this doctrine should make, there's really a couple of big things. Um, one has to do with our posture, and the other has to do with our identity. So the first is uh, first in terms of our posture. What I mean by that is is um, that we should be seeking to yield to our good King, because Jesus, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as the Maker of all things as well. Um, he is a very good king. Yeah. There is no better king than than King Jesus. Um, and so our lives are to be lives that are submitted to him 
understanding that he, as our good king, is a good ruler and knows what is best for us. So his commands are good for us. As his people, we do not have the option of not obeying him. But because he is a good king, we ought to want to obey him out of love for him in recognition of his love for us. Second thing that plays into that first as well is is living as ambassadors for our king and his kingdom. And so ultimately what what um, yielding to him, submitting to him, obeying him looks like is is that we display what it means to be his his subjects, his disciples. We show what it means to live as a citizen of his kingdom right now. And that's the way that we have to view his commands, that these are not things that we do to earn citizenship in his, in his kingdom. These are, these are the actions of people who do belong already. Um, you know, a, a way that um, I sometimes describe it is um, that the gift of grace comes before the demands. Uh, the demands. Um, so Jesus gives us grace before he makes a demand of us. And we see that in, the, in how the gospel is uh, how the gospel itself plays out. We see that in how he outlines life in the kingdom in, um, you know, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, with the Beatitudes coming first. Um, we see that going back into the Old Testament as well with the Ten Commandments themselves. The first thing is, I am the Lord your God who rescued yep. you from Egypt. Therefore, do these. <laughs> um this is, but that's what it, that's ultimately what it comes down to. We, we show what it means to, to be his people in our lives. And we display a picture, an imperfect picture that will gradually be fulfilled when Jesus returns of what kingdom living is like now. Yeah. I think that last one's so important, Aaron, and it's something that has been a point of debate and contention in the church recently of what is the church's role in playing in our culture? And some would say, well, we reject culture. We form the holy huddle. Um, you know, we, we fort up and we fight against culture and reject it. Others, the other end of the extreme is we embrace everything in culture because, you know, everything's okay and just whatever. And then your degrees in between, we Christianize things and so forth. But this has been something that has been really important for, for us as believers to continue wrestling with and understanding. And, and I, to me, that, that solution you just described is it. It's we take and say, all right, we, we know, yes, the proclamation of the gospel, verbalization of the gospel that somebody can trust in Christ and be saved is paramount. We don't want to make, as it's been said, we don't want to make the world a better place for people to go to hell from. Um, but I think we also can't miss this. One of the ways that we proclaim the gospel is in deeds along with words. We have to do both. We certainly mm-hmm. have to do the words. Um, and so if we're showing, this is what gospel living looks like. This is what God intended. God intended in creation in Genesis 1 and 2 for us to live kingdom principles, right? He, he intended us to obey and to cultivate and the cultural mandate and so forth. And that's what we know is going to happen when Jesus returns and makes all things new. We are going to fulfill that. We are going to experience kingdom living. It makes no sense to me that this middle period doesn't matter if we do kingdom living or not. 
We, we should strive for kingdom living, not such that we just change their, our culture. That's not the main win. But we need to saturate it to show in a winsome way what it's supposed to be like so that people can be drawn to the power of the gospel, hear the gospel preached, repent of their sin, and be saved. So to me, I think some people are forcing a false dichotomy here, um, mm-hmm. and I don't see that. So just an interesting thing for us to kind of continue to wrestle with and grapple with our understanding of how this, this plays out. Yeah, definitely. All right, so it's a good conversation about Jesus being our king, the form final of that three heart uh, offices, prophet, priest, and king. Um, I do want to thank you for listening to the episode today. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.